The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you could tune in today for the show. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) I'm Diane Ray, and thanks for being present with me today. So I saw an interesting meme on social media this week that kind of ties into what we're going to be talking about today. So the meme was, you don't hate Monday, you hate your job. So I think a lot of people can relate to this. If you're stuck in a dead-end situation or worse, unemployed entirely, a lot of people in that situation too. You know, many of us are still holding on to limiting fear-based attitudes that hold us back. And we're going to address some of those today to get rid of that meme. So we're not going to be dreading Mondays anymore. We're going to love them. We're going to run skipping to our computers, hopefully, (laughs) in the uh, next hour. So my guest today Alan Cohen is the author of 24 popular inspirational books, including the bestseller, The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore, the award-winning A Deep Breath of Life, and the classic Are You As Happy As Your Dog? His books have been translated into 24 languages, and his work has been featured on Oprah.com, USA Today, The Washington Post, and 101 Top Experts. And you can hear his weekly radio show, Get Real, on HayHouseRadio.com, and his monthly column, From the Heart, is featured in magazines internationally. So I'm really happy to welcome him to the show today. His new book is coming out in February. It's called Spirit Means Business. And this book is going to reframe the way you think of money and success and give you some tools to help you achieve your goals and let go of limiting beliefs. And in the book, Alan identifies 10 fundamental illusions that are keeping us stuck and offer some strategies to replace those illusions and lead us to more happiness and success. So I have to say this book has been ringing true to me as I've been reading through it. So I'm really happy to welcome Alan to the show to talk about it. So thanks for joining me today. What a lovely intro. Thank you, Diane. Always good to be with you. Yes, it's so it's wonderful to hear your voice. Alan joins us from his home in Hawaii, so I'm glad he could take out a little bit of time and, and chat with us. So this book is really ringing true to me. I, I was telling you a little bit before we started the show today that I'm planning on sending this to all the people that I know that are in businesses, looking to launch something, kind of wondering what's holding them back. There's just some great common sense information that you share in this book. So to kind of start things off in the in the beginning, you identify three groups of people who struggle with their money and their jobs. And I definitely recognize myself um, in past situations and current situations in these categories. And also a lot of people that I've heard call 
uh, the radio shows when I was at Hay House Radio, also calling the radio shows here at Unity. So I think a lot of people will see themselves in these categories. So I was just hoping you could share that with us, the, the three groups of people. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Well, the first is people who work in the corporate environment, and they're making good money. They have lots of benefits and prestige, but they hate their jobs, or they feel like the corporation's out of integrity, and they feel stuck because they're not following the passion and they're not at peace with their integrity, but they need the money. Second group is people who have had the courage to launch out, and they're entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Uh, they have massage therapy practices, you know, people who are making their own money. And they're following their passion. They're in tune with their heart, but they're really struggling to make ends meet. And so the, the work of earning a high income tends to offset the passion that they're exuding as they're working. The third group is more like spiritual, alternative, culture, creative, artistic types who don't really care about money at all, uh, but they also have to earn a living, and they, they take jobs that they hate just to earn some bucks, when meanwhile their passion is dying. So there's a lot of overlaps between the three groups, but uh, they're all, the one thing they have in common is that there's some disconnect in them between the idea of earning a living and following my passion. In my book, I seek to, to heal that and say, you know, it really is possible to be true to your heart, to be true to your passion, to be true to your gifts, and make money doing it. That's the basic point of the book. Well, I was able to identify myself, I think, in all of those categories at different <laughs> times in my life. It's, I thought that yeah. was interesting where, you know, I remember yeah. kind of starting out on a career and, you know, I, I really wanted to be in broadcasting and, then, and that was my love and, you know, but I couldn't pay the bills. So I was waiting tables and doing all this other stuff to to try to make ends meet. And then also like working uh, in a corporate environment of work for big companies where you're afraid to leave, but it's soul sucking the life out of you, but you're still staying in the job, you know, and also the entrepreneur, you know, where you're starting something new, but then you feel overwhelmed with the day-to-day tasks and, you know, that you're not actually really doing what you love because you're doing all the day-to-day tasks. So I think we all can definitely see ourselves in, in one of those categories or maybe all of them. So I thought that was really interesting. And you said in the book that the first step to removing any obstacle is to discover and dismantle the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. And I mean, I've encountered a lot of beliefs <laughs> that are keeping me stuck. I mean, one that I wanted to ask you about is the belief about working hard. And I, I kind of tied this back to growing up and watching my parents who were both hard workers, you know, drudge, toil, and struggle. And that was kind of what I equated to to making it, which on the one hand gives you a really strong work ethic, but on the other hand can just not be fun. It just can be a real drag. Um, I'm sure you've seen that a lot in, in your clients too, right? That same belief. Yeah, a lot of us had parents, or we grew up in religions that said, if you're not suffering, you're not doing it right. And we had parents who worked hard, and even if they didn't say to us, you know, you don't get anywhere unless you bust your butt, even if they didn't say that, they modeled it. Uh, my parents were both blue collar workers, they had two jobs. My mother worked the graveyard shift, and they struggled to make ends meet. And I, part of my mind said, well, okay, well, if I'm not struggling, I'm not doing it right. 
And it's taken me many years, Diane, to work with that and address that and recognize that the more I follow my heart, the more I'm honest about what I'd really like to be doing, the more I'm true to my passion, the more I'm true to my service, the more money comes, but that does not involve struggle. Now, sometimes you have to work hard, but if you're working hard at something you love, it doesn't feel like struggle. So my goal is to remove the struggle energy from the equation for all of my readers, and uh, a lot of people say it's working for them. Well, that definitely rang true for me because I, I saw that as well. I mean, both my parents were hard workers. My brother was a teacher and my father worked for the state for health and rehabilitative services. Like they just, you know, they, they never seemed to take vacations. They never seemed to really yeah. have any fun, you know, so I always kind of equated that as well. I guess I'm supposed to be struggling, right? But I like how you say you replace this belief with struggle means you're being redirected elsewhere. So if we're really like, killing ourselves over something, maybe we should just take another look at that? Is, is that what you mean? Well, not maybe, but we really should. <laughs> I had one, one client who is, you know, so the idea that struggle means it's not it. And if you accept struggle, you go on doing what's not it. But it's really saying, try another way. One of my, accountants, one of my clients was an accountant, and he claimed that he'd been fired from five accounting jobs. And I asked him a question that was obvious to me, but not to him. I said, do you really want to be an accountant? He said, hell no. I said, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to do photography. And so basically, you know, if you keep banging your head against the wall doing something, there's a door or a window elsewhere, and the more you bang your head, the less you're going to see the door or the window. So this is where brutal, I hate to say brutal honesty, but, but extreme honesty comes in. We have to be really, really honest about what you're doing that's working for you and what you're doing that's not working for you. And that's really the first step. Unless you're honest about what's hurting and what's, what's joy-filling, you're not going to get anywhere. So I invite my clients and readers to do a, a, a deep and searching introspection about where their heart lives and if they're following it or not. And that's a great first step for sure. And I want to tell people, too, that, you know, sometimes getting fired is not a bad thing. You know, there's, I think oh. there's a lot of shame around that. And, you know, I'll honestly say that I've been canned from several jobs uh, for one reason or another, you know, never really for like getting in a fight or having like a hard time with management. But usually it was, you know, the, the company switched gears, they laid off a bunch of people. In, and I've been in those situations and I've seen how different people handle it where some people are like, oh, wow, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I'm so happy. Yeah. And other people are kind of blaming themselves. Like, what did I do wrong? That means I'm worthless. And and you point that out in, in the book that, you know, that that doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing that you should look for the the sign, right? The The guidance that, hey, maybe this is supposed to be happening and go with it. Well, people who love their jobs rarely get, rarely get fired from them because when you love your job, you do well and the management wants to keep you. It's usually when you'd rather not be there in the first place that you get fired. And, and I you know, used to listen to my callers and hey, us radio, people calling and say, I just got fired from a job I hated. I say, congratulations, that's an act of mastery. <laughs> now, right. you know, you're being kicked into a news zone. Now you have to really tell the truth about what you want to do and do it. And people say, hallelujah, now I can take up my, you know, my yoga teaching and my massage therapy and my coaching, and, and they feel liberated. So really, you know, sometimes getting fired is the best thing that could happen to you because it releases you from prison and lets you fly under your own wings. 
And to make that process a little easier, though, you say to partner with a higher power or to just, you know, let those things in. And some people might have a hard time with that, or maybe they'll equate that with I'm I'm letting go of control of the situation. But I I think you have to discern like what's letting go of, of control or what's kind of letting something else take the wheel. Well, control is mostly an illusion. I uh, I saw a, uh, a video of uh, SpaceX, you know, Elon Musk company, and they had just launched a new uh, rocket, and they were interviewing the uh, director of mission control, and he said, you know, mission control is pretty much an oxymoron. He says, once you launch that rocket, you have very little control of what's going to happen. So, so you know, you just there's a certain point, you know, where you do all you can to create your ideal career. And then there's this wonderful X factor, this wonderful trust factor, faith factor, you know, recognizing that there is a higher power, there's a divine design that is organizing our good in much more cleverer ways than you and I ever could. If we had more time in the interview, I could tell you lots of stories about ways my life has changed in unbelievably miraculous ways through methods and avenues that I had no plan over, no control over, no expectation over Grace found me and took me to my next level with the least effort on my part. And, you know, that's the fun part of of partnering with higher power because you recognize that you're being blessed and guided and helped in ways that you can never help yourself. I love that. And it it works so often, too. And I was looking back as I was reading the book and thinking of, of times where you were presented with that that feeling, you know, that big decision that you had to make. And, uh, you know, some, it's not easy and there's a lot of fear sometimes around that, but really feeling in, in your gut that this is the right thing to do, that this was the, the right situation to happen, even if it is like a, a painful thing, like a firing, because sometimes I can come out of the blue. But in, in reality, there's something else kind of moving the pieces around a lot of times, isn't there? Well, you mentioned the word big decision. Well, really, the biggest decision you can make is to have faith. And to trust, you know, I'm, of course, a miracle student and teacher, and the Course says that trust would, sol- trust would settle every problem now. Trust would settle every problem now. And so I tell my clients who are not trusting, I say, well, let's say you got fired or you had a breakup or divorce. I'd say, well, if you trusted more, how would you be approaching this differently? And suddenly they light up and realize that they, they've laid a whole, a whole field of doubt over their innocent mind. And when they kind of plow their way through the doubt and say, well, you know, somehow, the, you know Robert Holden. Do you remember Robert Holden from Hay House? Oh, of Man? course. Yeah. yeah very, dear, very dear man. And, and they share with me that he, he was divorced a number of years ago. And he said that as he was going through this painful divorce, he took a bunch of pa- papers, like office papers, and he wrote the word trust on all of them, and he made a bed of them, and he laid down on this bed of trust, and it really helped his mind to get peaceful. And then very quickly he met a lovely woman, and they had a family, and he wasn't having a family in his original marriage, which he wanted to do. And so somehow, even though it was painful and scary in the moment, as he laid down on his bed of trust, which is a a literal representation of a metaphorical experience, something shifted and all doors open. So I think we could all use a bed of trust. You know, they say you make, you made your bed, now lay in it. Well, we should make a bed of trust and then lay in that. I like that. That's actually a good exercise. 
you know, just kind of write it, write it down and lay on it and, you know, maybe meditate for a few minutes. And I like in the book too, you offer different stories from your clients, you know, real life situations that people can relate to. I always like that when I'm, I'm reading a book because then I can kind of identify with, you know, yeah. that, that particular person or, or that particular story. So I think people will enjoy that as, as they're reading through, they'll see themselves in a, in a lot of this. Yeah. I'm talking with Alan Cohen about his new book coming out. I believe it's uh, late February, right? It should be just February out as, as this airs. And people, you're going to love this because we can all relate to a lot of these situations. And, um, and even some people that are more higher profile, like you mentioned Elon Musk a little bit earlier. And I, I love kind of following what he's doing. I mean, he's definitely had some ups and downs, you know, huge success with SpaceX. And then he goes on a podcast with Joe Rogan and, you know, smokes a joint or something and people freak out and then his stockholders are, you know, going crazy and maybe not the best decision for him to do. So I guess we're all kind of figuring things out, right? Like I would look at someone like Elon Musk and say, wow, he's got things figured out, but we're all kind of doing the best we can, right? You know, he, he bet his whole fortune on, well, first of all, he bet it all on Tesla. And that almost failed, but it bounced back. And then I remember the story told where he, um, he was developing SpaceX and they had three launches that failed. And one of his friends actually sent him a video a 45-minute video of rockets blowing up to try to discourage him from from SpaceX, and they had one launch left, and he bet his entire fortune on it, and it succeeded. And the next day, he got like a 19 billion dollar contract from NASA. And so the point is that you know he was faced with tremendous obstacles, and yet he had so much faith in what he was doing that he kept betting and betting. And it paid off. So he's kind of an extreme example, but we could all use more faith. And, you know, we need to bet on ourselves more instead of waiting for other people to bet on us or us betting on other people. That's so true. You know, I was uh, found this great quote as I was looking around, you know, online, looking things up, getting ready for our, our talk today. And it was a quote that I heard our, our mutual friend, Dr. Wayne Dyer, say a lot from Albert Einstein and it's, I want to know God's thoughts, the rest are mere details. And he used to use that quote on his radio show and, and in some of his talks. And, and, and that's kind of what, what you're saying, right? You know, we need to just be able to accept um, that there might be something else that, that's helping us. And then part of that, would that be acknowledging it when it shows up too? And celebrating it, yeah, celebrate. There's a lovely line that Wayne also used to quote from A Course in Miracles, and it said, if you knew who walked beside you on the path that you have chosen, fear would be impossible. And, you know, sometimes I get afraid and I get worried about stuff, and I remember that quote, and I realized that I'm not alone. There's an invisible hand that's holding mine, and even if it's not tangible physically, there are spiritual forces at work that are helping us. And when I when I remember that, Diane, I just kind of relax and go, okay, it's going to work out, and it does. Right. It'll all work out in, in the right time that it's supposed to. But we can increase our experience of, of this, right, of divine orchestration. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, one way is by looking for it and by noticing synchronicities. And, um, you know, I was... I was <laughs> I was sitting in a uh, small uh, uh, restaurant in Maui with a friend of mine, and it was a crowded restaurant, and they have these picnic tables, and we were sitting next to people we didn't know. 
and we started talking about our lives and you know turning points. And he said, "Well, when I was in high school, I I went to Africa with uh, a few people in my class, and we had a, a exchange program." And, and and the lady uh, leans over, sitting next to me on this on this picnic bench, and she said, "What year were you there?" And he she, he tells her, and it turns out that they were in the same group in Africa of about twenty thirty kids, like thirty years earlier. And we're at this picnic bench in in, in Maui, and he's from Portland, she's from somewhere, you know. And then she sent me a photo of them together, you know, like two weeks later. So who organizes these things, you know? Who, right. Who creates synchronicities, you know? I mean, the chances of that are infinitesimal. And so, you know, I'm a great believer in the law of attraction. I'm a great believer in the law of faith. And somehow, you know, there, there are forces afoot, my friend, that the eye doesn't see. I love those synchronicities, don't you, when they happen? Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. It's like, so just accepting that, welcoming that will bring more of that into your life. So that, that's a good reminder. And you were talking about some of the laws. You mentioned law of attraction, that there are laws in the universe. And there's one you mentioned in the book that I hadn't really heard before, the law of matching. And you say to let that guide you. So is that kind of like what uh, we're we're just talking about, synchronicities? Absolutely. It means that... This is related to the law of attraction that, you know, for every need you have, there's someone to fill it. And for every need someone else has, you can possibly fill it if it's right. And so, you know, there is a right job for everybody. There is a right partnership for everybody. There is a right home for everybody. And the universe is working diligently to match us. So, you know, you just have to trust that if you have a need, there's somebody out there who can fill it. And sometimes when you work so hard to fill your own needs, you kind of crimp the pipe of the universe, and the universe is trying to help you, but you're busy looking elsewhere. And very, very often, mates and houses and jobs come from unexpected directions. And I always tell people on the radio show, you know, quit struggling and just, you know, go to the beach or get a massage or go to have a big meal or go visit your family. And when you're in that relaxed state and you're at peace with yourself and you're having fun, your vibration raises. And when your vibration is higher, you have access to a whole different set of support systems than you do when your vibration is low. So really, stepping back from fighting for stuff is often the way to get the stuff that you really want to come to you. Right. Working harder is not always the best approach, right? <laughs> Sometimes working lighter is going to get yeah. you more in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am so guilty of that. And so I told myself that after our, our interview today that I'm going to go out and take a long walk and just try to clear my head because I didn't do that yesterday. So I was ex extra stressed out. I just kind of sat at the computer and plowed through a project that I tried to finish. So I was really happy that I accomplished it, but I was stiff and sore and, and achy as well, a result of doing about, that. <laughs> it's crazy. Maybe get a massage too. Why don't you really treat yourself? I, I want to. I, I like that idea because I think you're right. I mean, so many times we just put our nose to the grindstone and then, you know, wonder why we're, we're running yeah. out of creativity and ideas. And then every yeah. time, like I'll take a walk. I like to go to this little dog park uh, near my neighborhood because I, I can't have a dog right now, unfortunately. I have two cats, but I love dogs. And so I, I go and, you know, kind of vicariously hang with them and uh, take a walk around the park. And I'll, always I'll get a, a better idea or 
something that I've been struggling with kind of comes to a close. So I have to, I have to always remember that, but because I'm so like, like I was telling you before the, the work, work, struggle, struggle mentality. And, and I've been dealing with that for years. When does this go away, Alan? It's like forever. I've been doing this. Well, when you get tired enough of doing it, you'll do something else. (laughs) You said, said, put your nose to the grindstone. Well, how many people want to ground down nose? I mean, that's not very pleasant, isn't it? Uh, My partner, Deese, will oftentimes go to the beach or, you know, she says, Alan, uh, she says, the best things happen in the office when you're away. And she's right, because, you know, I go to Japan a couple times, and usually big deals come through when we're in Japan and, you know, incomes and And she said, you know, when you go to the beach, good things happen. And she's really right. So, you know, my job is to get get out of my own way and let spirit take care of business for me. Right. That's so true. So we have just a couple of minutes until the break, but I just wanted to ask you this um, before we go to break. So in the book, you talk about being, you know, very clear in your intention of what you want. And it just made me realize that so many people have such a hard time asking for what they want. Why is that so difficult? Why can't we just be honest and say, look, this is what I want, X, Y, and Z? We've been trained that asking for what we want is selfish. Uh, we're taking away from somebody else's good. And, you know, we really need to sacrifice more than to ask for what we want. And what I say in the book is what you ask for is not outrageous. What you settle for is outrageous. And so, um, you know, you can't get what you want unless you ask for it. And we got to be very honest about what we want. And for some reason, that's difficult. I don't know why. Even I struggle with that over stupid things. Like my husband will say, what do you want for dinner? And I'll say, well, what's the easiest for you to cook? Because I don't really want to ask you to do this (laughs) because Uh that's what I really want, you know. And then I'll have all these conditions instead of asking for what I really want. It's silly. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have do we have one minute for a story? Yes. Okay. So I gave I gave three lectures at a big church one day, and uh, it was on asking for what you really want, and not selling for less. And then I was in the minister's office afterwards, and her assistant was saying, "What kind of tea would you like?" And I said, "Well, I'd like peppermint." She said, "Well, let me see." She said, "I'm not seeing any." I said, "Well, I'll take whatever you have." And she said, "Are you the same guy who just gave three lectures on asking for what you really want?" And so she poked around and she found some peppermint. But, you know, it reminded me that very often we're we're just too willing to roll with what's happening instead of saying, no, this is what I really prefer. It doesn't mean it has to be nasty or arrogant or prima donna, but it means you have to trust that if you say what you want, the universe might give it to you. Exactly. And then when you said, okay, I, I really do want the peppermint, then somehow it showed up. Yeah, yeah, I was honest about it, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I, I love that. It's so true. And I make myself crazy going around in, in circles trying to find the right way to ask, or I don't want to put the other person out yeah. because of of revealing my truth. You know, so it, it's so interesting. We're going to explore some more of these questions, asking for what we really want. And then we're going to be talking about money, something that people really get uncomfortable talking about how much money they want or being honest about that. I'm talking with Alan Cohen about his new book, Spirit Means Business, that I hope you check out. Such a great read. And we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Take a trip with Rev. Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. We're back. Thanks for joining me after the break. My guest today is Alan Cohen, and we're talking about his new book, Spirit Means Business. And this is really really going to give you some new ideas about the way you think of money and success and give you some great tools to work with as well, because it, it's something that uh, I think a lot of us suffer from, you know, having just old, outdated and limiting beliefs about money and success and what's really possible when in reality, I want to believe that the universe is an abundant place and and the universe wants us to have all this great stuff, right, Alan? Are we 
<laughs> we're we're putting yeah. you know conditions on things. It's crazy. We are, we make up all kinds of stories about why we don't deserve what we want when there's really really one story and that you deserve to have everything you need. Now it doesn't mean that you get things you don't you know they're going to hurt you. So when I, when I tell people when they're affirming or praying or, or or asking, you know, ask for everything you want, and then leave space. For, you, for the universe to give you something better. And one of the best endings to a prayer is this or better. And we all know people who have affirmed and treated for the right partner, the certain, certain kind of good-looking guy with a certain age and certain income, and then they get him, and then the next year they're, they're, they're treating to get rid of him. And so what you want to say is, I want the perfect job with the perfect income, with the perfect people, passionate. And, you know, you... you you state all the energetic and experiential attributes of your career, and then you leave the universe room to fill in the blanks with the details. Details are not your business. The spirit and the experience is your business. Right. I think Mike Dooley calls that the cursed house. Like we worry yeah. too much about how. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard him right, say that, right. you know, how yeah, that's yeah, going to yeah. work. And then, yeah. you know, we shouldn't be worrying about how, just know that it is going to work. Now you brought up an interesting concept in the book, and I hate to say I've probably been been guilty of this fraud guilt that we shouldn't be in the position that we're in or or doing what we're doing or that you know fake it till you make it kind of thing, which works to some degree. I mean, I've I've done that sometimes, and that's okay. Like, all right, I'll I'll figure it out, but I'm going to give the illusion that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> is that wrong? Tell tell me a little bit about that because I thought that well, concept was interesting. Well, I, I see it a lot because I do a life coach training, and uh, in the application form, I ask the potential coaches, what are your fears or concerns about becoming a life coach? And they say, I'm really concerned that people find that I don't know what I'm doing, and who am I to be coaching when I have my own problems? And I tell them that the problem is not that you're def- deficient, but the problem is that you have fraud guilt. And... Uh, uh, I read about a survey that was taken of Hollywood CEOs, uh, studio, movie studios, and they were asked, what is your biggest fear? And they answered that my biggest fear is that people find out I don't know what I'm doing. Meanwhile, they were turning out blockbusters, blockbusters making millions and millions of dollars for the studio, and they did know what they were doing. Right. Uh, one more quick story. Um, this is a true story from the Beatles anthology that one day uh, Ringo Starr decided that he wasn't good enough to be a Beatle, and he went to George Harrison and said, I'm quitting the band because you guys are really the Beatles, not me. And George Harrison said, well, you know, I was just about to go to you and tell you I'm quitting because I'm not the real Beatle. <laughs> and and they, the same thing uh, went for uh, uh, somebody else, one of the other guys. But the point is that three out of four Beatles thought they weren't the real Beatles when they were the real Beatles. <laughs> Right. So if even the even the Beatles had fraud guilt, these guys are the most talented entertainers, probably the most successful entertainers in all of history, and they had fraud guilt. So if they thought they weren't good enough, so maybe maybe we're all good enough, but we just don't know it. And probably a large percentage of people suffer from that, I would think. Most people. Most yes, people most of us. Another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, get over it. So I, 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 quote, I, I quote this uh, metaphor from my teacher to my students. I say, the dogs bark and the caravan moves on. 
which means that even while your little doubts and fears and niggling go, nee, 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 just keep going anyway. Don't stop. Don't give it to him. Don't believe him. Don't sit down to tea with him. Don't trust him. Just say thank you for sharing. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to marry this person anyway. I'm going to get this job anyway. I'm going to earn, have this project anyway. And you just march one foot at a time. And then those little doggy voices, they, they abate because they realize they could not stop you. And the truth of the fact that you are competent and lovable and capable, that comes forth. Right. And just take care of your tasks every day, right? Just do what you have to do. Do the job. Kind of keep pushing forward. And, and don't even question whether, oh, I'm not good enough to do this. Don't, don't second guess yourself. I mean, Paul, back to the Beatles. Paul McCartney was once criticized. He said, well, the Beatles used to go over, well, maybe we should have done this on the White Album. Maybe we should have done that. They said, hey, is the Beatles' White Album. It's a big success. Why are you going back and making... They, they say that when you're a public speaker, has three speeches that you give. The one that you plan, the one that you give, and the one you wish you gave. <laughs> right. So it's very, it's very tempting to go back and say, I should have done that better. But, but yeah, you can do it better. But why not give yourself credit for the good speech you did give instead of the one you didn't give? Right. You can tell I've been thinking about this concept a lot. And then I read it, you know, when I, I got your manuscript, I'm like, oh, this this is so interesting. Because I do this game with myself sometimes, too, where I'm watching people on TV and so-and-so, the director of programming for blah, blah, blah studio or Amazon or whatever. And I wonder, is that person really that much smarter than me? Maybe they had a little bit more schooling in a certain area or they got an amount of, of luck with a job, but but probably not head to head that they're that much smarter. They're probably not. Maybe they just had more confidence that they could do the job. Maybe they just said yes, even if they had doubts. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So I think we all I have to kind of deal any, with that. I can't imagine anybody being more competent than you, Diane. <laughs> Unless I'm thinking to myself, you know, but I mean, I'm, I've heard so many people say, you know, we're the ones that are beating ourselves up. Other people aren't. I had an experience that kind of reminds me of of dispelling my fraud guilt where, um, you know, through the wonders of the Internet now, you reconnect with people that you haven't seen or talked to in like 100 years. So I had the, an, an old, old friend from when we were kids, like eight, nine, 10 years old from my neighborhood, hadn't seen this guy in like 40 years. So we reconnected recently and had a Skype call. And it was just so great to talk to him. He's like traveling the world and teaching and doing all this stuff. And he goes, wow, look at you. Just look at all this stuff that you've done. And I'm like, but look at you. You're traveling the world. You're doing all this. And it, it's just funny. Like when you look at yourself through yeah. someone else's eyes, then yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, well, maybe I have actually done some things, you know, <laughs> but I didn't wow. think to, I didn't think to think about that until we were having the conversation. He's like, wow. You know, he was just so blown away from, yeah. from all these things. And I'm saying, Hey, this is what I've done over the past 40 years. It's just interesting. I had a similar experience uh, when I was in high school. There was this guy, Richard Brown, who was the he was the all-around cool guy. He was the captain of the football team and had the best girlfriend. He was the homecoming king and all that. And uh, he was the head of student council. And I, I totally, totally envied him. I thought he was on the in crowd and I was on the out. And I ran into him years later, and I said, you know, Rich, I used to really envy you because I thought you were on the in crowd and I was out. He says, oh, I said, Alan, I used to envy you because I thought you were on the in crowd and I was out. <laughs> I said, wow, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. So look at look at the silly stories we make up. I and mean, we just hurt ourselves not by reality but by the stories we make up about what's real. That's so true. And, and you'd say that's an illusion, right? They're just stories. 
they're just silly stories that have no substance whatsoever. We, we you know, we build prisons and we live in them at our own hands. So just the same hand that built the prison can let you out of it. Right. I want to talk a little bit, too, about, you know, as we're moving forward, you know, with our goals and, and working with other people, you know, sometimes that that can be a challenge. Although I think now, you know, like looking back on some difficult people that I've worked with, they were definitely great teachers. I think I, we, I even had a conversation with you one time about that, about, you know, I can't stand this person. And, and you know, you said, yeah. well, you know, what's the lesson in this? And so I've definitely learned some things along the way. But I thought this was interesting that you mentioned in the book, you know, about when you're when you're pushing forward with your goals or a project that you want to work with willing people and people that are yeah. aligned with you. But but sometimes that that's tricky, right? And and they're not maybe they're not all going to get on board with your project and and if they drop off then that's okay. So what what would you say are ways to deal with that situation, you know, where you're interacting with others? Well, you you know, well, like you said, the first the first rule is work with people who are willing to match you. And as much as you have choice over that, choose people you can trust and who are competent. So that's number one. If you find somebody who's not, you have to really look inside yourself like I did with you and say What's the lesson here? What what button is this push and pre, is this person pushing inside me that I can learn from? And usually, and this, nobody wants to hear this, but usually, if somebody criticizes you and they get to you, then there's part of your mind that agrees with them. So what they're doing is they're highlighting an unhealed part of your own mind that you need to look at for healing. So in an odd sense, they're your best teacher because they're helping you discover where you're stuck and forcing you to look within so you get unstuck. So in an odd way, they're angels coming to serve and release you. And that can be a, a difficult thing at first to to see. I, I know it was with me, although after I looked back on, on the situation and that difficult person, yeah, they were pointing out fears that I had. And then also I was able to look at that, at that person with compassion and say, well, right. they're they're a human being as well with their own fears of what they're doing. Although of course at the time I didn't think that I'm like, just, I hate her. I hate her guts. (laughs) 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 And that, that, uh, that Avenue, you know, is just going to lead you to the dead end, right? It's not going to take you where you want to go. So I I did learn a a lesson from, from that. Yeah. I mean, we always look back and, you know, looking back, I can see the absolute perfection of the people who challenged me because they they forced me to dig in and and tell a greater truth than I was telling. You know, the Course in Miracles says that the only purpose of our life is to dismantle fear and replace fear with love. So if someone's bugging you and they hurt you and you're guilty or angry, there's fear behind it. So you have to say, what is the fear that's fueling this? And remember that fear is always based on illusion. There's always some lie behind the fear. And if you can find what the lie is and find what the truth is that the lie is covering, the problem ends right there because you've, you've succeeded in mastering the lesson that that situation is bringing you to discover. Right. But it's so true. You always have the best advice, Alan. <laughs> That's why I like to well, touch, touch I, base with you. Tell me what to do. There have been so many things wrong that I had to figure it out. So you're, you're learning from my, my errors. <laughs> Well, I, w- I want to touch base a little bit on money because that's usually what's top of mind with people and, and uh, causes a lot of fights, right? I mean, I think what's that the number one reason pe- couples have, have fights yeah. is over money, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. In, 
it seems like there's such a big divide. I mean, more so, unfortunately, in this country, we're seeing that the divide between the haves and the have nots. And it's kind of like an us and them situation where the idea of having a lot of money is equated in some people's minds as that, well, those people are are the wealthy, you know, the wealthy elites. I mean, we, we just see it all around us right now in the discourse that's happening. You know, there's those people have money. They don't understand what we're going through. Although, you know, if you think about it, okay, if someone gave me a million dollars now, I'm still going to remember what it was like not to have that million dollars. Would, yeah. would it would it change me that much? I mean, how can we reframe that belief so that people were not thinking, okay, it's bad to have money? Because in that in that thinking, we're actually kind of stopping the flow of abundance coming to us. Well, many years ago, I read a book called Money Love by Jerry Gillies, and there's a couple of variations on it later. Another one called Money Is Love. And what, what helped me the most, Diane, was to quit thinking of money as money and think of it as love. And the idea is that money is energy, and money is, it flows around the universe, it circulates from person to person, and it empowers those who receive it, and, and it actually empowers to give it because you're, you're actually part of the circulation process. So, so when, some, when, you know, when United Airlines bills me $1,000 to fly to Japan, so instead of complaining when my credit card bill comes, I say, well, thank you. You loved me enough to take me to Japan in seven hours from Hawaii. And I did my work there. I earned some money there, and I came home. And so really, you know, you love me by taking me to Japan. And now I'm loving you by giving you some money to do with in ways that you prefer. So instead of thinking as... I uh, have to pay money or, you know, what's the damage? People say, what's the damage on this bill? You say, well, here's, uh, by, by the money passing through me to others, I am blessing and thanking and loving and supportive of you. And now maybe here's the crux of the answer to your question. When somebody pays me for coaching them or teaching or doing a radio show, whatever, then I'm receiving, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm receiving love from them. And so thank you, universe, for loving me through this check. This is, this is God's way of saying I believe in you and I'm supporting you and sustaining you. So reframe all money transactions as the passing of love around. And the more love gets passed around, the higher the energy gets and the more love there is to go around. So I know it sounds kind of airy-fairy in a way, but it's actually really, really true. Money is just energy and energy is love when you pass money around, you're passing love around. Right. And you know what I like to do too, and on that same vein is with, um, I mean, I don't, I don't consider myself like a big philanthropist or anything like that, but there's organizations and, and things that I like to donate to. So each month I have like a little ritual where I'll, I'll write out a couple of checks. You know, it may only be 15 bucks here, 20 bucks there, but it's something that I, that I believe in. And, and I'll, I'll take a second and I'll just say, okay, you know, wh- whoever's getting this, I'm sending, I'm sending it with love. You know, I hope it helps you with, with whatever you're doing. You know, like there's the, the rescue mission here in San Diego, I'll send them a couple bucks or the humane society where I got my, my cats, George and Gracie. So I I like to take a minute and think that now it is harder to do that when you're doing your, your bills for other things, (laughs) like that fat insurance, you know, payment that I have to pay each month. That's, that keeps going up, but, but it's good to reframe that. Like you're saying, think of it as, okay, I'm sending love, and that works a lot better. Yeah, you know, psychologists have done experiments, and they realized they, that um, when you write a check for charity and you ha- or helping somebody in some way, 
all kinds of wonderful uh, chemicals released in your body, like oxytocin and dopamine and stuff like that. And so the act of giving really is very healing when you do it purely. And, and you know, uh, once again, you know, thank the insurance company because if you ever needed an insurance payment, uh, an insurance claim, then hopefully they would pay it. And so the idea is that people are actually doing things that you're paying them for. You're not just paying them for nothing. They're providing a service to you. So it's really it's an exchange where you're helping each other in both directions. Right. And also, uh, why do people think that people that have more money are automatically smarter? I don't no, – and that doesn't really seem true, Right. They just like money more. <laughs> they just value money more. <laughs> no, you know, we have a president who uh, has a lot of money, and some people might question how smart he actually is. So, right. um, you know, it's like um, people, you can tell what you believe by what you're getting. So, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, you don't care. You don't really care about money that much. If you, have a lot of, if you don't have a lot of money and you're worried about money, there's some belief system that says that I'm a victim or I can't have this or I don't deserve or I'm lacking. So you want to shine light on those beliefs so you can heal them so you can shift. I mean, the only purpose of facing fears around money is to heal the fears and come into abundance. That's the only purpose of that, that experience. And I've seen this too in the kind of, I guess, quote, spiritual community that people are afraid. Like, so say you're a massage therapist or, you know, something like that that they're afraid to ask for money, like, well, you should be giving this for free because of, of what it is, which, which doesn't really make sense. I hear that all the time, and my answer to that is it pains me deeply when I see people have spiritual gifts to give, like massage or coaching or counseling or energy work, and then they go out and take some job they hate in order to make money because they're not accepting money for doing what they love. How many more people would benefit if that same person could do massage full-time instead of waitressing or, or, or office clerking. So, uh, you know, uh, and people are happy. You know, when, when, when I had to get a coaching for session for my mentor, I take a workshop, I'm happy to pay them because they help me. So it's really a deservingness and self-worth issue more than a, a financial abundance issue. Yeah, I see that a lot where, you know, say it's for an online course or something like that, and I'll, I'll look at, a post on social media and someone's offering, you know, oh, there's this great energy healing course. And then inevitably there'll be comments, well, you know, how are you, why are you charging so much for this? You should be giving it away. That this is unfair. You know, so there's people that hold that, that you should be giving it away for free. Well, you know, I have bills to pay. You know, I have a mortgage and I have a family and I have taxes and I have all kinds of, I have an accountant. And so, you know, my mortgage company will not accept a crystal you know, and my account will not accept a coaching session. And so, you know, money is a medium of exchange that works in our in our culture. So, you know, I, and I also have space in my business for people who can pay. There are things they can get for free or people have scholarships sometimes. So nobody's turned away because they, you know, from my teachings because they can't afford it. And the people who can afford to pay, pay. And they help me and everybody's happy. People generally do not complain about what I charge them because they're receiving fair value for fair value. And so once you realize that there is an equal exchange of good for good, then you can receive. Right. And I guess it just takes a little discernment or, 
you know, letting go of those limiting beliefs, like you said. So an- another limiting belief that I, I see come up a lot is that people's success, you know, depends on someone else, you know, or external conditions, you know, well, when I have the right degree, or I need to do this first, or the right situation comes up. So what would be a, a strategy to move past those kind of beliefs that it's outside yourself, that the power is not within you? Well, you have to you have to understand how the ego works, you know. And the ego says the ego is based on lack and gap. So one of the big tricks of the ego is to say that if you only had one more degree, or you only lost ten more pounds, or you only had a better person today, then you'd be happy. But there's there's just it's just make up it makes up these cockamamie stories about what you have to do first before you be qualified. And like you were giving the example earlier that you look at other people and say, well, you know, why can't I have a job like them? Well, that's just a, it's a story, you know, the ego made up. So you just have to trust. You know, um, Mark Twain said that comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. Comparison. So anytime we compare ourselves to anybody else, you're going to end up losing somehow. And so you just, you know, <laughs> you, you know, I coach people who are 40, 50, 60 years old, and I say, how many years are you going to have to play this game before you're qualified? And the older you get, they realize that the time is running out, and you're either qualified now or you're not. And so the, the most successful people are the ones who declare, I am ready, and they go out and do it. Maybe not perfectly, but they, I mean, if everybody had to be a perfect parent before he had children, there'd be no children. You'll learn to be a perfect parent by having children, or maybe not perfect, but a better one. So you just got to get off your butt and do it and say, I'm ready, and I'm serving, and I'm, I have a gift to give, and there are people waiting to receive my gifts, and let's just do it. And then you kind of flip the bird of the ego, so to speak, and you march on, and the ego has no power to control you after that. Right, but isn't there, don't you need a good balance of, I mean, you need you need a good ego or sense of self to some degree, right? I mean, you hear a lot of times people yeah. say, you know, be, beat down the ego and, and don't believe it. And and I totally, that totally makes sense. Like you shouldn't believe everything that, that your ego is telling you, yeah. but, but you do need to have some, a yeah. strong ego, you right? Have, <laughs> Somewhat. Yeah. You need a, you need a good, strong self-identity, but the kind of ego I'm talking about is the kind of pokes you and prods you and puts you down and, and cuts you and, and, and beats you that, that, you know, that's basically an ego that's overblown and, and has no discipline and just kind of ends up hurting you more than helping you. So we need enough ego to be successful, but not so much that it starts working against us. Right, and just balancing that out. And I love, um, you know, letting go of, of those limiting beliefs of, well, I need something else outside of me, the external conditions, and also the beliefs about age. You know, um, working working with Louise Hay for so many years, and I just love that story. And I would always tell myself, well, Louise didn't start this company until she was in her 60s, you know. And now look at her, you know. So, and it's such a it's such a limiting belief that I I see is still so pervasive, you know, even around my friends. And I don't know if it's more women that feel that way or men. Do you, do you see that in your clients? Yeah, but a lot of my clients are getting more and more liberated, you know. And I, I point out Jane, um, Jane, uh, I'm sorry, Jane, the uh, the primate lady, Jane Goodall. Oh, Jane Goodall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's like uh, 82, 83, and she's gallivanting around the globe. She's hardly ever home, raising money for for primates and and the environment. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan of this orchestra leader Andre Rieu, and 
in uh, in uh, Holland, and he's 70, and he's he's gallivanting around the world with a hundred-piece orchestra, you know, half the nights of the year. So when you're doing what you love, you have infinite energy at any age. And that, so the, the trick, the way to, the way you get old is when you're not doing what you love, and and you're doing what you're obligated to. But when you stand the leading edge of your, edge of your passion. Your passion provides all the health and healing and energy you need to do whatever you need to do. So, once again, it all comes back to trusting passion and being true to where your joy lives. Right, and being open to some divine guidance and, and synchronicities and that that little voice inside, that in, internal guidance. And sometimes I don't I don't hear mine as clearly as I'd like to. But if you get quiet and and listen, and I've been really working on that, I I hear that little voice. And to me, I think that voice, it sounds very calm, almost like uh, Hal in 2001, but not as sinister. You know, like, it's okay, Diane, don't worry. I'm here, you know, and I'm (laughs) <laughs> right. I imagine the arm going around my shoulder, kind of patting me. That's going to be okay. And, the, and usually right. it is. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Just think of comforting grandmothers. Yeah, I sure love you. I'm just so proud of you. You're just so wonderful. Please keep going. You're doing great stuff. That's the voice we want to hear. Exactly. I, vi- I visualize that. You know, it's been so great to talk with you about this. And I really hope people pick up this book, Spirit Means Business. And you should be able to pick it up at Amazon, Hay House, your local bookstore. And if you're you're starting something new or you're re-energizing a business, you're going to find a lot of great tools in this book. I've, I've really been enjoying reading it. And Alan, people can find you online, right? AlanCohen.com. Yep, all my programs are there, my life coach training, and my new books and audios, everything's there. The easiest way. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great. It's always a delight. Thank you, my dear. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.